you know, I'm still, um, I'm not quite sure what's going on with me, but I'm still resisting having a lectern. Um, I'd really like to be sitting where where Julia's sitting, just talking there. But I'm going to position myself here. And I think at least for now, I'm going to try to do without a lectern somehow. I don't, I don't know why that bothers me, but it does. Um, we're going to now talk about practicing the presence. And just to call your attention to ancient wells in the fact of ancient wells, there is a part, part 18, of teachings. And these are notes from various teachings that have been recently given. And there is a teaching back here on practicing the presence. And you would think that, you know, I would be speaking from those notes. It's on page 229. <laughs> but I don't know what it is. Once, once something's been written like this, I, I, if I get into the notes, I get into reading the notes, and people don't like that either. So notes are there, and I know that a lot of what I'm going to say now is in those notes, <coughs> but, excuse me, Father, thank you for the gift that you've given us of being able to be together with each other and with you. And we want to invite you to come um, and tabernacle among us afresh in this session. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. <clears throat> we ask that you will, in your profound mercy, not leave us in the darkness of understanding that is the fruit of our own sin and the sin all around us. But enlighten us, quicken our understanding that we might understand your ways <clears throat> and walk in your truth and be filled with your life and be your instruments in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, the first um, thing that I want to share is when I think of practicing the presence. <clears throat> Our first parents lived in unbroken communion with God. We were created for this. Adam and Eve, before they sinned, walked with God they were naked, and they were not ashamed. And their communion with God was unbroken. And there was moment by moment interaction with their Creator. And through that interaction, <clears throat> they received the affirmation of who they were and of their Father's love for them. And in that relationship, all of their needs were met. <clears throat> so they lived in God's presence 24-7. We were created for that. Now, sin 
damaged us in ways that are so profound we hardly are in touch with how profound the damage is. If we were to somehow meet Adam and Eve, our original parents, in the state that God created them, we would hardly recognize them. They were glorious beings. And it's critically important that we get in touch with this. We too are creating glorious beings. You ever hear this said, oh, I'm just a worm. No, you're not just a worm. You are a glorious being, created by God in his likeness. In the whole universe, there's almost nothing like you. Maybe the angels. Between you and the animals, there is a gulf, a profound gulf between you and the animals. You are created in the image of the God who spoke and everything came to be. The God who is profoundly different than everything else. The God who is in a category all on his own. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's anything else in that category. That's one category. The other category is everything else. And in that everything else, you and I are created at the top. We are created to rule. We were given dominion over God's creation. He trusted us with his creation. He created it and said to us, have dominion. That's where we're going. <clears throat> but sin brought ruin. It brought damage. Damage is too light a word. It brought devastation. Mm -hmm. It warped and twisted us. It bent us out of shape. That's too weak an expression. It's like um, a bomb went off inside of us. And every part of us is damaged and broken. That's our state. We're hardly recognizable in light of the person that we were created to be. <clears throat> and that destruction has affected every component of us. It's affected our heart our will. It's affected our soul. It's affected our mind. It's affected our emotions. It's affected our body. It's affected our capacity to interact with God and with other people. So that's our state. Now, when Christ came, he came to bring salvation. So let's talk for a minute about what salvation is. <clears throat> the biblical concept of salvation is deliverance. And probably the most powerful picture is the deliverance that God effected for Israel out of Egypt. So here was Israel in Egypt, and God sent the deliverer. And the deliverer's job was to take the people out of Egypt <coughs> through the desert, give them laws, mold them into a people, lead them into the promised land, and give them the promised land that God had prepared for them. So that's salvation. Now, <clears throat> if our understanding of salvation is limited, to forgiveness. If that's what salvation means to us, salvation means our sins are forgiven. The good news about that is that is true, 100% true. Salvation is about the forgiveness of sins. But the downside is that's only the beginning. That's only the beginning. 
because God doesn't just want us forgiven. Don't get stuck in forgiveness. There's a sense in which our Father is saying to us, look, I don't want to talk anymore about forgiveness. We've already talked about forgiveness. I've forgiven you. Now, I want you to go on and receive the rest of the salvation that I have for you. And the rest of the salvation is that our Father wants to restore us to what he created us to be in the garden. He wants to restore us. He wants to give us it all back. He wants to make us what he created us to be. And here's the even the more awesome thing about all that, and I, I don't want to, you know, start a new denomination on this, but I, I want to suggest to you that the redeemed soul, the fully redeemed soul, is more glorious, more glorious because of the fall than we would have been without the fall. So, enrich the idea of salvation with the idea of redemption. God is redeeming our sin. He is redeeming our sin. And core to that redemption of our sin is he is transforming us into the people he created us to be. God has not abdicated to Satan. The victory that Satan won in Genesis 3 God has not abdicated that victory to Satan. God is redeeming that victory. And he is transforming us into the image of his son. That's what life on this earth is all about. Being redeemed into the likeness of his son. Now, <clears throat> I'm watching Hannah go through this. So just to give you a little bit of introduction for Wednesday afternoon. Hannah was born in 1932 in Germany as a Jew. 1933, the Nazis came to power. She grew up for seven years under the Nazis, all the intimidation. Her father lost his business, lost his nationality, all the intimidation and evil that was done. Hannah's parents put her on a train when she was seven years old, and she escaped to England, seven years old, never saw her parents again, didn't know English, <clears throat> and just recently has found that her parents were gassed on May the 3rd, 1942, in a place called Kelno in Poland, and then the other Jews at that time, the Nazis were beginning to um, experiment with gas, because they couldn't kill the Jews fast enough. And they started off by putting Jews out in the forest, and they had to dig mass graves and shoot them, fall into the grave, cover them up, and the next lot out there, shoot them, fall into They couldn't kill them fast enough. Started experimenting with this. And <clears throat> Hannah's parents were some of the first, and what they did, they put them in the trucks. So they came in, they put them in the trucks, closed the door, turned the gas on, everybody died, drove the trucks out into the woods, and emptied all the bodies into a mass grave. And then later on, there was a problem with typhoid, so they dug up the bodies and incinerated them. Where was God? Where was God in this? If the Jews are God's chosen people, why did he do so? Now, our role is not, you know, that's God's, that's God's business. Where was God? I don't know where God was. I don't understand it all. But I know, I know enough to know this. God was there, and he knew what he was doing. And there's a part of God that lets sin run its course. We'll talk about that later, why God does that. Mm. But what I'm watching 
is that God is redeeming this sin through Hannah's life. That was all from Satan. God is not going to give Satan the final victory. He is redeeming sin. And he is doing something <clears throat> that is so beautiful when he redeems sin. And he demonstrates his kingdom. His kingdom becomes visible through the redemption of sin. So God is transforming us. That's what salvation is all about. Being transformed into the likeness of Christ from the inside out. And that happens in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. So in one sense, <clears throat> the most important thing we can learn in life is how to be with God. Now, does it not seem tragic that there would be a lot of people who would self-identify as Christians but who don't really know how to be with God. And so <clears throat> that's what we want to talk about. This is where it begins. How do we be with God? It's in the presence of God that we are transformed. It's in the presence of God that we are here. Now, let's talk for a minute about that. Another another part of being transformed is to grow into full maturity. So a key question for us this week is, does anybody want to grow up? Do Do we still want to walk as children, or are we tired of walking as children and want to grow up? Because Jesus is inviting us to step into maturity in him. Now, there are different areas of our life where we mature. So here's an area where we're maturing. Here's an area where we're maturing. Here's an area where we're maturing. But here's an area where our maturing is blocked. We're not maturing in this area. We try and we try and we try and we try, but we don't mature. Why is that? There is wounding. There is wounding that is blocking the maturity. And so the process of being transformed into the likeness of Christ is also a process of healing. That takes place in the presence of God. It all takes place in the presence. Now, sin has left us in a condition where we don't want to be with God. We want a little bit. (laughs) You know? A worship meeting. How many times after a worship meeting somebody said, well, how was the worship this morning? Oh, it was great. How was the worship this morning? Well, it wasn't so good. It wasn't as good as it was last What, what is that? Immature. It's immature. God loves immature people. God loves <laughs> But he longs for us to grow up. Just like you long for your children. I mean, you see this little baby around here, and you say, what an absolutely adorable human being this little baby is. But you don't want the baby to look like that way 10 years from now. <laughs> So our Father who loves us in our immature state longs for us to grow into maturity. And we, sin has left us to where we don't really want to be with him. We want to be with him a little bit and get kind of a charge. That's a good thing. But we can go overboard with this thing of being with God. So here's the question. How bad is the dysfunction How bad is the dysfunction? Is this just a hangnail? Or is this something more profound? I have been in Christian service 
<clears throat> since 1961. In 1961, I became a pastor. I was 20 years old. Almost 21. I became the pastor of a country church. 75 people. I was going to college. So, I got a lot of experience in Christian work. Years and years and years and years after that, still in Christian work, Christian leader, I was in a meeting. And this meeting, I had been patient, and I had been patient, I thought, and I had been patient. And it just got too much, and I just dumped anger. And I told them all what I thought, and how utterly despicable they all were, and how utterly stupid they were. I just I had done that before. I got a history with anger. My father was a rageaholic. I grew up with it. It, feel, it felt normal. And the next morning, I was with the Lord. And I said, Lord, <clears throat> I'm going to do it again. I'll do it again. If the circumstances are right, I'll do it with you. Jesus, take this anger from me. Take this anger from me. Heal, Lord Jesus, down deep inside of me, the pain that I don't even understand myself. Heal it, because I can't push it down anymore. I push it down, I push it down, I push it down, I push it down, but one day it's going to explode again like it did, like, like it's done a lot before. You think Hannah ever experienced that anger from me? I still remember one time we were out shopping and I dumped anger on her. So how bad is the dysfunction? You know, in Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard talks about pastors. Pastors of mega churches. The amount of sexual unfaithfulness on the part of Christian leaders is just devastating when you get to know what's going on behind the scenes. Just devastating. There was a brother, I won't name his name, but the whole you probably know who I'm talking about because it's all in the national media. He's all in the national media. He was, uh, you know, the head of a nationwide organization of Christians, access to the White House. Obviously, uh, a strong voice against homosexuality. And then it became evident that he had been in a homosexual relationship. Now he had, he was married, growing children, national leader. And he said, I had it all. I've been born again. I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've spoken in tongues. He went down the list of everything he had. But he said, inside of me, there was something that was Is that how you read the New Testament? That what Jesus promised? Well, if something's dark inside of you, I'm sorry, but there's nothing I can do about that. <laughs> I really wish I could help you. <laughs> or, George, you got this anger problem. Well, you know, it was your father's fault. I, I'd like to help you, George, but I can't do it. Is that what you read in the New Testament? Or did Jesus and the writers of the New Testament talk about a transformed life? A life where from the very depths of our being, streams of living water would flow. Be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God and holy. Put off the old man, 
put on the new name. How bad is the dysfunction? And when I <laughs> brought my anger to the Lord, the Lord said to me, George, I want you to seek me. Seek me in a whole new way, a whole new level. This has now got to become the focus of your life. Hmm. Spending time with me. Being in my presence. Learning how to live in my presence. Because in my presence, you will be transformed. So, when Jesus died on the cross, here's where the cross becomes present. See, if, if the only thing salvation is about is about forgiveness, then the cross can stay in the past. You know, I remember the day when I went forward and confessed my sins and prayed the prayer, and Jesus, uh, I was born again, and now I'm going to heaven. The cross is in the past. But when I'm on a path of being transformed, the cross comes to me daily. Because daily I bring my sin to the cross. And I experience the Lord because it's not just about forgiveness, it's about cleansing. So if there's anger today, that anger needs to be cleansed. If there's sexual sin today, that sexual sin needs to be cleansed. If there's whatever it is, that needs to be cleansed. And that needs to be brought daily, daily, daily to the cross in prayer. We come to Jesus in prayer. Lord Jesus, I bring my sin to your cross. I am unworthy to bring my sin to your cross. But I don't have any other place to bring it. I don't have any other place to bring it. I bring it to your cross, Lord. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, cleanse me. Cleanse me from the effects of this sin. Heal me, Lord. Because you see, our sin wounds us. This is the other thing about sin. I mean, you don't want it. You have a... <clears throat> uh, you know, it's, it's like having something in your vein that's poison. And you just, every now and then, you just pump more poison into your whole system. That's what sin is. It's, it poisons the system. It destroys the system. It, 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 it warps and twists the system. We don't want it. So, it comes down to how do I live in the presence of God? Spiritual formation is about the process of our person being restored to a condition even more glorious than the original one. That's where we're going. That's what God has for us. This restoration takes place in the presence of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, ancient wells, the very title suggests to us that in the ancient legacy that has come down to us through Israel and the church, there are treasures. There are spiritual wells. And one of them is the awesome truth of the Trinity. We need a relationship with every member of the Trinity. We all know that there came a time in some of our more recent backgrounds when the Holy Spirit was de-emphasized. And then God brought a renewal in understanding of the Holy Spirit. What we now have to be careful about is we don't get the Holy Spirit <coughs> in a place where we're overemphasizing the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit <coughs> takes his rightful place as we worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need a relationship with all three of them. They're all three real. And as we have a relationship with all three of them, the Holy Spirit takes his rightful place. Um, now, in, in, how, how do we... How do we learn to live in the presence of God? We have to understand the role of our will. So in this process of transformation, what role does our will play? There is the idea of willpower. Willpower works in the Christian life the same way willpower would work if I wanted to run a, a marathon, but I never practiced. I just woke up the morning of the marathon and I decided by willpower I'm going to run and I'm going to win. The chances of even running, much less winning, would not be very good. It doesn't work that way. So we know that we train our bodies. If we want to run a marathon, our bodies have to be trained. The training is a function of our will. We make the decision every day to train. We make the decision today to train more a little bit than we trained yesterday. So it's a constant exercising of our will, but it's not willpower in the sense that all I, all I need to do is decide I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it. The same you can do anything you decide to do. How did that? Our will works the same way in the development of our spirit. What do we mean by spiritual? We simply mean um, the unseen world. God is spirit. God doesn't have a body. We're, we're created in God's image, but he doesn't have a body. Except that now he has a body because of Christ. So God became incarnate in the human race, incarnate in matter. But God in his essence is spirit. We in our essence are spirit. You know, it's hard for us to get a good... You and I are eternal beings. We are eternal beings that right now are in a body, but the day is going to come when we're going to be released from that body. We're going to leave the body here. I was telling somebody at the break, my mother died last year. And uh, we're standing there and next to the casket, and there's mom. And everybody knows it's mom, but also everybody knows mom's not there anymore. Her body's there. And she's not there. She's spirit. God is spirit. And the part of us that's being developed is the spirit. Spiritual formation, the formation of the invisible or the unseen part of us that, by the way, has everything to do with that physical part. The state of our bodies is going to be reflected. The state of our soul is going to be reflected in the state of our bodies. So, um, um, the role of our will. We have to choose this. What we're talking about right now, we have to choose it. How bad is the dysfunction? How much do we want to learn to live in the presence of God 24-7? With our will, we are going to have to transform, reorganize our lives. We're going to have to make decisions about priorities. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to make decisions about what we're going to do with our time. We're going to have to walk against the stream, swim against the stream. <coughs> We're going to have to plow new spiritual <coughs> trails. How bad is the dysfunction? How hungry are we to live in the presence of God? How 
much of a price are we willing to pay for it? Mm -hmm. Those are functions of the will. Now, another thing we have to grow in our understanding of is spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are disciplines that strengthen the inner, the, the unseen part of us, the spiritual part of us. They work just like physical disciplines strengthen the physical part of us. Spiritual disciplines. We have to grow in our understanding of unseen reality, and we have to grow in our understanding of the Holy Spirit what he will do and what he will not do. This is really important. The Holy Spirit is God. He's able to do anything. But there are a lot of things he won't do. Now you say, George, how do you know that? Let me tell you how I know that. He created us. God created us to be like him. And therefore, he will not violate our will. He will not violate our will. When God created you and me, it's like he created a little box inside of us that's our will. And that box has a door on it. And the door has a key, a lock and a key. So God created the door, created the lock, created the key, locked the door, and took the key and gave it to me. I have the key to my will. God will not violate that. God will watch me sin. And he will be grieved by that. But he will not violate that decision of my heart. Because what God wants is my love. Mm -hmm. And love must be freely given. It can't be forced. What God wants is my worship. It must be freely given. It cannot be forced. So God created us with this incredible capacity to choose him or not to choose him. And he waits for us to make that choice. When we make that choice, the transformation that we're talking about only the Holy Spirit can do. But he will not do it without us making the decisions of the will to want it. Or without us making the decisions of the will to open the way for him to come. The minute we make the decision, boom, he's there and begins to transform. Mm -hmm. And takes the anger and we get to the point one day when we're in the same situation, we're in the same situation that before would have produced anger. And we realize inside of us that anger is simply no longer there. Mm -hmm. It's no longer there. That doesn't mean we rest on that and brag about that and doesn't mean that but it means we realize the profound healing and transformation that takes place in the presence of God. How bad do we want it? How bad do we want it? If we want, and I, I love to say this to people, but I'd love to say it especially to young people. I've said it to several times to the community of apprentices in Phoenix that Ryan leads. Brothers and sisters, go deep with God. Go deep with God. Go deep with God. Go deep with God. This, this retreat is about mission. When Jesus taught us to pray, the, he, he said to us, okay, here's how you're to pray. The first thing you're to pray is to Make holy the name of God. It's the first thing. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The second thing you're to pray for is mission. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So this is about mission. Well, you say, George, what is this thing about practicing the presence have to do with mission? The greatest need in mission is godly people. The greatest need in mission is Christ-like people. Without Christ-like people, we will stir up a lot of activity that will produce mostly wood, hay, and stubble. Is that what we're going to do? Go into all the world and be busy. <laughs> or do we want to go into all the world and produce fruit? Which is it that we want to do? If you had to win a nation for Christ, let's just talk about something big. You had to win a nation for Christ, and you had to choose a team. And you got the choice. You could either choose a thousand people, or you could choose Moses. <laughs> what would you choose? I mean, this is a thousand people, they can really do something. Is it Moses? Okay, let's even make it better. I'm going to give you 10,000 or Elijah. We're going to talk about Elijah's <laughs> Which would you rather have? So God is looking for the few who will say, Father, I want to be like you. I'm not like you, Lord, but I know I was created to be like you. There's something within me that hungers to be like you. I don't know how to get there. And the Lord says, look at my son. Look at my son. That's why I sent him. To transform you. To be like him so that you can be like me. So that I can pour my grace through you to multitudes. Okay, a couple of more. I'm trying to figure out where we are here. A couple of more thoughts and then we're through. Practicing the presence. Living in God's presence 24-7. I'm still learning. So I'm not here giving you some kind of final answer. I'm a fellow pilgrim. But I know this. I have a problem. And the problem is I often get up too early in the morning because I get up to go to the bathroom. Welcome. It's in your future. <laughs> I get up to go to the bathroom and I don't want to go back to bed. I want to go into my study with a cup of coffee and my cereal and be with God. It's so appealing. It is so appealing. I want it. I'm still on a journey. still a learner. But I want to tell you there is nothing like being with God. There is nothing like being with God. Whatever we give up to be with God is a compared with what we get by being here. So, um, now, centering our thoughts on God. See, this journey will be a journey of self-revelation. We have to know ourselves. See, that's part of our problem. We don't know ourselves. Why don't we know ourselves? Because we blocked it out. It's too painful. Mm -hmm. We block out. 
<clears throat> so there's all kind of things in us. There's all kind of things in me. I, I often pray in the morning, Lord Jesus, I bring my pain to your cross, most of which I don't even understand. I've blocked it out so long. I don't even know what it is. But I know I'm compulsive. And I know the compulsivity is an expression of pain. What is mm. the pain, Lord? And the Lord, every now and then, reveals new things. It's not every day, not every week, but it's a process. And so self-revelation will grow. You will grow in your awareness of yourself. Now, as you grow in your awareness to yourself, you will also grow in your awareness of others. Be careful. Because God gives us insight into others to be exercised in love. Never, never, never for any other reason. This process we're talking about is a growth in Mm -hmm. self-awareness which inevitably brings us to a growth understanding of others because we all share in more or less the same dysfunction the same disorders, the same damage of soul. So we, we see how do we keep our thoughts on God and we don't keep our thoughts on anything. When, when I say my mind is on something, it means my mind keeps returning. My mind keeps returning to that subject. So when we talk about living in the presence of God, we are working with how do we bring our minds back? How do we bring our minds back? How do we bring our minds back? Now, this brother, whose name I constantly forget, who was a missionary to the Philippines. Frank Lovett. Yeah, Frank Lovett. He was working, I don't know, he was working to bring his mind back one second every minute. I don't know how we did that. <laughs> I don't know how we did that. But that's the thought. I mean, what what would it be like if every minute you could bring your mind back to God for one second, think about God. 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 If you don't make that, don't be disappointed. But the, the, the point is, how do we constantly bring our minds back? How do we bring our minds back? We've got to clear our minds from all this stuff that, that's, that's blocking them up. You've got to clear our minds So how do we do that? Um, let me talk to you a little bit about centering prayer. And, you know, if you read about centering prayer, you may um, have different understandings of it. Let me tell you what comes to my mind when I think about centering. One of the most helpful things to me is what I call three sets of four. Three sets of four. The three comes from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I find it great power. Now, I'm sharing this with you to try to give you some um, some thoughts. I'm not... So, I mean, don't do what works for me. Do what works for you. If this works for you, do it. But, you know, let the Spirit lead you as to what works for you. This works well for me. I, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in the midst of my day, and I'm in the midst of my own compulsivity. Now, my compulsivity, when I wake up in the morning, we're going to talk about this tomorrow, the whole the solitude and silence. When we wake up in the morning, we're in solitude. So when I wake up in the morning, boy, I can just, woo, be with God. And I have a practice in the evening, my, my day, I, getting ready for bed for me is prayer. So it, I'm getting myself ready. For, but in the middle of the day, the compulsivity is just raging, just raging. I don't know where it comes from. Boy, it comes up. So I want to break into that compulsivity. Not easy, because my whole being rebels against that. Look, we got to get something done. You ever hear that? <laughs> so, four sets of three, I pray something to the Father four times. Father, thank you for your love. Father, thank you for your love. Father, 
thank you for your love. Father, thank you for your love. Then I pray to Jesus. I can pray the same thing. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Or I can pray something else. Lord Jesus, thank you for your cross. Lord Jesus, thank you for your cross. Then the Holy Spirit, I can't thank the Holy Spirit for your cross, but I can say, Holy Spirit, come and comfort me. I, I, I said to the Holy Spirit not long ago, Holy Spirit, why am I always asking you to comfort me? I must need comfort. And the Holy Spirit said to me, George, you have fears. And, but you have, you have pushed those fears down. Because you see, I'm a man. We men so what I've done with my fears is push them down I push them down for so long I don't even know what they are but I feel they need to be comforted now the Holy Spirit is the spirit of comfort so I can pray that four times then I go back and pray Father give me insight Father give me insight Lord Jesus and then, so that enables me to pray to the Father, pray to the Son, pray to the Holy Spirit, and begins to get my being going in the direction of the Lord. I pray, another point, you know, the monastic, um, the monastic practice, uh, the Benedictine monastic practice, eight prayer times a day, including one of those is, you know, extended time at night. I do seven. And I can tell you more about that. Again, i got my eyes on the clock. I can tell you more about how I do that. But I pray seven different prayer times a day. And um, I typically pray through the Psalms once a month in German. I love to do that. It helps my language a lot. <laughs> and, um, uh, but when, if I'm going to sit down after lunch and pray the Psalms in German, my whole being is rebelling against that. You know, the compulsivity is just going, 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 going. So sometimes I have to sit there and pray four times to the Father, four times to the Son, four times to the Spirit, four times to the Father, four times to the Son, four times to the Spirit. And after about five minutes of that, I'm ready to pray the Psalms. Now can you see the role that my decision-making plays in that? I have to decide that. The Holy Spirit doesn't zap me. But once the Holy Spirit sees the desires of my heart and the decision of my will... He's there, ministering, transforming, healing. So the monastic prayer times, I, I realized that I was born a monastic. In another life, I should be a monastic. <laughs> now, I believe in the new form of monasticism. So I want to be with Hannah. I want her to be there, too. I'm not talking about anything without that. <laughs> but... Um, but if I, you know, I'm not, I, I love monasticism and honor monasticism. And you hear me talk about monasticism, I just love it. But, you know, I also am willing to adjust, you know, get the principles. So, but the monastic, the monastic uh, um, daily offices, to me, is just a powerful way of bringing my mind back, bringing my mind back, bringing my mind back. Um, to the presence of the Lord. Now, uh, again, the, the, the Holy Spirit, we, we need the right understanding of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is actually the one who does it. The Holy Spirit does it. He doesn't do it without us making the decision. And He doesn't do it without us being willing to go into the disciplines. You see, if, we, if we're not willing to go into the disciplines, we haven't made the decision. But once he sees us willing, and once he sees us in the disciplines, he's there with his transforming presence. And I, I, I you know, I want to tell you about this. Not, not now, right? I haven't got time. But I had an experience with the Holy Spirit when I was somewhere between the age of ten and twelve. I didn't seek it. I didn't pray for it. I didn't know to pray. For it. It was the most life-giving, the most joyous, the most transforming, the most wonderful, the most exhilarating, the most influential experience of my entire life. Every day, 
every day it's there. Every day it kept me out of immorality. It kept me out of um, uh, liberal theology. I may, I, after that, five or six years after that, I became an atheist. Well, you say, well, how, how did that happen? Talking about the Holy Spirit and becoming an atheist. Well, you know, yeah, I needed healing. But I couldn't stay in atheist because of that experience. That experience kept drawing me back, drawing me back, drawing me back, drawing me back. So the Holy Spirit is the one who transforms us. But he's waiting for us to make the decisions. Let me just close by reading to you from Ancient Wells, page 218. I think this must be something I taught previously, page 218. How um, God comes to us. A lot more we can say about this. God comes to us through the scriptures. You see at the bottom of 218, God comes to us through the scriptures. Meditate on them day and night. I want to talk to you about meditation in these books you've been reading. The Holy Spirit, He is always with us. Worship and prayer, pray without ceasing. The creation, the heavens are telling the glory of God. God comes to us through the creation. The healing silences. We'll talk about that tomorrow morning. The healing silences of God. The power of solitude. The church. Christ's physical presence on earth. God comes to us through the church. In all of her glorious forms, God comes to us. God comes to us through the Lord's Supper, the body and blood of the Lord. God comes to us through the events of daily life. Learn how to respond to them correctly. You and I are not victims. We have a heavenly father. Hannah is not a victim. She's not a victim of the Nazis. She's not a victim of Hitler. She's not a victim of life's experiences. She's had some hard ones. But she has a heavenly father who has transformed her. And when we went to Poland with us, was this German woman who's become a dear, dear friend. And with us was also a woman from Austria whose father was a leading Nazi. Mm -hmm. And so here is an Austrian whose father was a leading Nazi. And here is a Jewish Holocaust survivor bound together in the love of Christ. That's what God can do. That's what God is calling us to. That takes place in the presence of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we commit to you the things that we have shared together. Do your work in us. Lord, we recognize that you are waiting for us. Gently, compassionately, patiently, lovingly, tenderly waiting. Lord, we want to respond. We bring to you our weakness, our brokenness, our fears. We are not strong. We are weak. We pretend to be strong. That shows our weakness. You love our weakness. You come to our weakness. You died for our weakness. You live in our weakness. You transform our weakness. When I am weak, then I am strong. Come, Lord. Have mercy upon us. Raise up Lord, make us men and women 
who walk in full maturity and are prepared to mature the harvest. Thy kingdom comes. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray our Father in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have a midday prayer at 11.30.